What's up, everybody? Week four of quarantine out here in California. Dan Helly inside the 900 Club and want to introduce you to the Helipod. This is episode one that we are dropping now on Monday, April 13th. If you haven't had a chance to check out the trailer, has a little preview of some of the other episodes that are going to be coming up in the very near future. You can go do that. That's episode zero. For episode one, however, it is double nickel. Three-time Super Bowl champion Willie McGinnis on the podcast. This guy's a bad man. Not only has he won three Super Bowls, made a couple of Pro Bowls, but I believe he's the only person that I know of to have played for Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, and Pete Carroll. He has great stories about all of those guys, great stories about his teammates. We sit down for an hour and we just chop it up. How about the fact that he grew up with Snoop Dogg? Still good buddies to this day. Great stories about that as well. I do have to remind you that this is pre-quarantine, pre-social distancing. We taped that before this was all going down. So this is a corona-free podcast in episode one of The Helipod, presented by Viore. So we all call you the OG. <laughs> I mean, the OG at NFL Network. You're the OG with the Patriots. Um, I'm trying to remember what Super Bowl it was, Willie, when we came back to the hotel after the game and you're like, hey, man, let's go. We got a little thing to go to. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He's asked Snoop's playing around the corner. And I was tired, man. I just wanted to sleep. <laughs> and you said, let's go. We, and, and we went around the corner. You remember that? It was San Francisco. So it was San Francisco. I think it was me and Amber, Theo Harris, yep. and you. And so we get to this little theater. There's probably like 300 people in there. Yep. And Snoop's, he's DJing, right? He's DJing. Snoopadelic. 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 That's his DJ thing. Yep. And so I remember we walk in, and I mean, Willie, like anybody that knows you, you're like, you get us in anywhere. I'm like, dude, we don't have passes to get in. Don't worry about it. I got you, bro. <laughs> so we get in there, and of course, it's Snoop, right? So there's this huge, like, weed cloud when we walk in. <laughs> and they had some drinks, they had a little setup, like, backstage, and, you know, you're talking to Snoop and some of your buddies that you grew up with. And I'm like, dude, what am, what am I going to do? Like, I've seen Snoop at Super Bowl parties that hung out, but, like, I'm just going to go hang out. So I went to the front of the stage, and I was just like that dumb white guy, like doing like the way. You the crowd like, hey, you were having a good time, though. It was amazing. We had a good time, though. It was amazing. No, that was, that was fun, man. And that's Snoop, man. Whenever Snoop's family. We've been knowing each other since, I mean, the, the, the sandbox. And anybody that comes around, you know, he's, he's always inviting. He's cool. He's laid back. Kind of like, you know, some of the guys that we work with, man, you can, they're approachable. Yeah. They like to have a good time. And if... If you bring somebody around, you kind of validate them. You know what I mean? So when I came with you guys, of course, he's a fan. You know, he's a fan of the show. He watched you. Yeah. And he knew what you did. And I was, I, I hit security because you saw the, those, those oh, monsters yeah. that he keep at security. I say, hey, man, we're coming through. Clear, you know, clear, clear the way. We coming. And we had a good time. It was fun. And you've done a lot with Snoop. And you obviously, you know, mentioned that relationship goes back for yeah. years. When did that start? And how did it start? It started when we were young, playing Pop Warner football. And I think a lot of times the relationships within the community where I grew up in, in Long Beach, you started to meet people because of football. And, you know, um, when, when, when the moms or dads are trying to keep you off the streets and keep you occupied and doing something when school is out and, you know, trying to keep you out of trouble, football was the common denominator that kind of brought everybody together, brought neighborhoods together, brought the community together. 
And a lot of our relationships, um, a lot of my relationships started, you know, when I started, you know, playing football. Snoop weighs 125 pounds <laughs> dripping wet right now. I mean, could he play? Yeah, everybody you would, play. You would break him. Yeah, that's now. Right, I mean, but right, we were right, kids, right. when we were babies. six and yeah. seven, you know, eight, nine years old, and that's how we, you know, that's how we came up. Like, if it wasn't tackle, we were playing Sandlot, you know, at, at, at the local high schools and, and, you know, at the junior high. So everybody played football. You know, I started playing t-ball when I was younger. That was our, actually the first sport I could actually play. And then when I was old enough, you know, what, six or seven, I was into football. Right. And everybody was playing football, so you had to do it. When did Snoop become Snoop, though? Like, you knew him since he was a kid. At what point did you realize, holy shit, like, he's getting big? Well, he got big in 90, around 92. You know when when Warren G took the song right. and they did another friend of yours, right? And they and they did deep cover and he got on that soundtrack, uh, Undercover Cop. But Snoop was always Snoop at all the little parties and all the other things. He was always rapping and storytelling and telling jokes and all those different things. So, you know, he always he always had the the nickname, but he became that guy once that single came out, and then. Um, I remember going to Death Row when he signed with Death Row, uh, pretty much to seal the deal. Um, and you were with him when that went down. Yeah, I was with him when he when he did his contract. And '92, I remember being on the boat when he had his record release party for his first album, and it was huge, man. He was the first guy. Um, we had other other rappers, you know, like I said, Warren G was there. We had Domino. We had other rappers, but he was the major, big time guy to come out of Long Beach to really put Long Beach on the map as far as giving us an identity, who we were, what we were about, what went on in Long Beach and all right. those different things. And that kind of started my junior year at SC um, when, the, when the riots happened. And that's what kind of when Dog, you know, was breaking and becoming Snoop Dogg. That was, I mean, the movie we see straight out of Compton was how realistic was that in terms of how things went as down? As far as some of the stuff that went down in the movie, I can't attest to. I wasn't there with all the things that went, but you know, <clears throat> the, the actual people that, that were there and took place and things like that, I heard a lot of stories, of course, and there's a lot of different sides right. you know, to it. Um, but I know when I was around, like I said, I was in college my junior year. I was getting ready to go to the pro. Kind of the same time, we both took off. You know, I had my biggest year in college that year. And the next year I was leaving, and that's when he got his start. But we was always around each other. But, of course, because of what I was doing and what he was doing, I wasn't always in the room with him. But whenever we had an opportunity for me to get to where he was or for him to get around the football, of course, you know, we made it happen. Do you remember when I asked you a couple years ago, I think we were just chilling in the green room, and I said, do you ever wonder what it would have been like? I think I used the phrase real college town. Yeah. You know? like Knoxville or Tuscaloosa um, or, or Austin, which is a little bit bigger of a college town. And you're like, as opposed to LA? He goes, we, we were the third pro team in LA. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine growing up in Long Beach, being well-known in the area, going to USC, blossoming into a star, and then having all the extracurricular stuff with Snoop blowing up, and you, I mean, you used to run around with ED and Magic, and like it was a different yeah. deal for you in college. It wasn't a normal experience. No, it wasn't, man. Our college life was more like a pro life, professional life, because we had the city of LA. We had Hollywood here. You know, I, I used to go to Denzel's restaurant. I used to go to Shaq's, you know, he had restaurants. In college. In college, you know, all, well, we had so many teams here at the time. Remember, we had the Rams that was here. Um, we had the Raiders that right. was here, Clippers, Lakers, you know. Dodgers, Angels, we had all the teams, right? Like, pretty pretty much located in the same area. So when I went out, 
you know, in college, these are all the guys I was rubbing elbows with, um, from entertainers all the way down. So I was familiar with the lifestyle. And I think it kind of made it easy for me to transition into the pros. Because when I went to the NFL, I went to New England, which is totally different than LA and what I was accustomed to. So I was kind of like, all right, this is cool, but this is where I come from. So I wasn't surprised or shocked when I went into the league. I was ready for it mentally. And um, I think it kind of made me more focused on the football part of it and getting myself prepared to play in the NFL versus all the extracurricular things that went around it. Because I had seen that my four years in college. It's so crazy. You experience that. You grow up in East Long Beach. You've always, to me, been kind of a kind of an old soul, right? Yeah. Just a, a, a good heart, an old soul. But you, you watch that football life, and uh-huh. you have the conversations that we've had, and I realize some of the things that you've seen and the way that you grew up is, right. is not like the rest of us. And it's, it's you, you carried a gun in your backpack going to high school. Your, your father was incarcerated part of the time you were growing up. How, how did that not affect you? How are you able to get through? I think it did affect me. It affected me because I, as growing up, I wanted more. And there were a lot of guys that I played with in high school that should have been in the pros, that were better than a lot of guys I played with in the pros, but didn't have the opportunity because the street life, they got involved in the street life. And it affected them whether they got, you know, they were killed or they were incarcerated or they lost their opportunity because they made mistakes. And, you know, me having a solid foundation with my mom and dad and community leaders and coaches in the neighborhood, um, I wasn't perfect. I got in some trouble but they steered me in the right direction and I kind of wanted more. You know, I was the first person in my family to go to a major university. Um, If I wanted change, I was gonna have to make that change personally. You know, I caught two cases before I even played one down at USC. I remember. And, you know, my opportunity could have been gone if I didn't have people to believe in me and if I didn't make those decisions to say, hey, I want want better for me and for my family. What, how old were you when when your dad went away? I was, I was young, man. I, I think he went away right before I was born. So I think he was, I was born while he was actually incarcerated. And then uh, when he came out, that's when he kind of took the reins. So it was right before I started youth football, around that age. Around that age. Yeah. And he was a huge influence on your life, as was your yeah, mom. Yeah, because when he got out, my mom was strong. She worked a couple of jobs to support us. We stayed with family members and friends while she was working two jobs. And when he got out, I was already, she was the one who signed me up for youth football. And um, he took over, you know, right away. He was in shape. He was big. He was strong. He was in shape. And he started the training process as soon as he got out. He started training you? Yeah, he started training me. I was a bigger kid for our youth. So back then you had weight limits and all that. So he wasn't the type of dad that's like, I'm going to starve you. You can't eat. You can't do this. He's like, I'm going to train you. Make sure you make weight. You're going to be able to eat whatever you want, but I'm going to train you and get you ready for it. So I can recall nights going out jogging with him my two Doverman pitchers, and he would, you know, I would have the dogs. The dogs would always follow him. If I would slow down, I'd get drugged. So he made sure, like, the training and the mentality and the toughness and all that was instilled inside of me. After going through what your pops went through, did he, obviously he motivated you from a physical standpoint, but did he keep a tight leash on you or did he let you learn from some of your own experiences in high school and college? Because as fathers now, I wonder what the right thing to do is with our kids. I think it was a little bit of both. I think 
he understood that I needed to have that freedom, you know, as well. Um, back then, the community also raised you, you know? People, my friends down the street, the community was close. Everybody had each other's numbers. Everybody communicated. Right. If, if he knew I was going down the house, seven houses down. Somebody knew, knew where you were. Somebody knew where I was. Or I would call and check in. Um, but, you know, as a man, I think as a, as a man who's, who's raised in the South, who's seen a lot, who understands, like, who's, you know, been in some trouble, he understood what those things were. When I got around it and I got around some of those guys that wasn't athletes, you know, they were into other things. Right. Um, they all respected my father. So they knew who my father was in the neighborhood. So they would always check in with my dad. So whenever something happened, it was people checking in. So it's kind of like I had a, I was in it, but I had a blanket around me as well. Because at that point, wherever I was, my father knew somebody or somebody knew my family or uncles or people that were in the streets. So it was always a... It was interconnected, man. You, interconnected, could, you, you couldn't get away. You couldn't get away. Was it always USC when you decided to go there? Where, was there anywhere else where you said, oh, maybe I could go there? I think it was Colorado. I think my father really liked Colorado initially. Because it was away? Visit. Not only it was away, but, you know, at that time, they were one of the best teams in the country. They won a national championship. They played in the Orange Bowl. They had some of the best players in college football from, from our area, from the L.A., Compton, you know, Long Beach area. Um, they had this one recruiter, uh, Lucas, who was assigned to our area. You tell me about him Who would before. come and get all the guys, and, you know, you'd come out the limo, you come out of high school with your jersey, all the, you know, all, all the flashy stuff. And I took, I took a visit. I had a couple guys that went to my high school that I played with in high school that actually went there. So I took a visit. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a great campus. I thought it was a great team. It, it, it was just too, for me, it was it wasn't enough, and I know me. Like, if when I get bored, when I was younger, that's when I used to kind of get into trouble. Mm -hmm. And Boulder was about 40 miles away from the actual city. From Denver. From Denver, and I was asking the guys, okay, what do you guys do, like, when you're not playing football? Like, I want to know what the entertainment was. What do you guys do? And they were, you know, most, some of the guys used to drink and in trouble and all that, and I, and I was like, uh... You knew it wouldn't be good for you. Yeah, I, I kind of knew it wouldn't be good for me, but it was a great school. Um, I had a couple people that I also went to high school that went to SC. So I took that visit, Colorado, SC, went to UCLA. Right away, I knew that wasn't for me just because of the guys that were on the team. Not actually the school, but the guys. It right. wasn't like family. It was like cliques, you know? Right. Um, and I canceled, I think, Miami and Notre Dame and a couple, a couple other schools. I was just, I was done. I was set on SC. Did I ever tell you my Mike Robb story in Boulder? No. I haven't? No. Oh, this is so good. So we're covering training camp, and uh, you know we go. You know how it works. We go to all the different camps. Right. There's a host. There's an analyst. We travel around. And Mike Rob and I had hit Richmond uh, with the Redskins. Um, somebody was at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. I think it was the Texans. Okay. Um, then we, oh yeah, it was. And, and then we we hit the Falcons. And then we had a day. We were going to Denver to Broncos camp. And so we had a day where we weren't doing anything. We weren't on the air. We weren't you know until the next day. And I'm like, what do you want to do? He was like. I just want to hang out. I'm like, no, let's do something, man. Let's, like, go mountain biking. He's like, black people don't mountain bike. <laughs> I'm like, well, let's go for a hike. He goes, black people don't hike either. Yeah, they I'm do. Like, You're an idiot. Right. All right, let's, let's go for a hike. So we went to breakfast, and we talked to this guy, and I'm like, I just want to go for a hike. And he said, uh, you got to go to Boulder. He said it's, like, 30, 40 minutes away. He goes, but that's the best place to go. And I said, all right, let's just Uber up there. So take Mike and 
we Uber up. And, you know, Mike grew up not far from where I grew up. He was in Richmond. You know, I grew right. up in Maryland. And um, we, we hiked up this trail where we could see the stadium. And it was just beautiful. It was a it perfect was. day. It, it, it was unbelievable. It, 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 just, it was awesome. We were hiking up. And, you know, Mike gets deep sometimes, right? So he's sitting there. He goes, hold on a minute. I just want to chill out. I'm like, all right. So he's just sitting there. And he's like, thanks, Helly. I mean, I don't see any black people, but this is cool as shit. <laughs> so, every time I think Boulder, I, I think Mike Rob, man. He's, um, you know, he gets he gets. It's God's he's country, gone. man. It's one of the beautiful, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. And my daughter actually now, she's 15. She actually went on like a, a unofficial visit there. To Colorado? To Colorado. And we toured the campus and all that. And I was like, Daddy was here. Daddy, you know, Daddy walked these halls. And Daddy almost, you know... You know, play for the Buffaloes and all that, and it, it was pretty unique, man. But it's a, it's a beautiful place, man. I have a lot of a lot of respect for the program and the area. Yeah, and it's just so clean and fresh, you know. How how, how old is Riley? That your oldest daughter's fifteen. She's fifteen, yeah. and she's a stud in volleyball. Yeah, she uh, she she's good. She's pretty good. So is it weird now? I mean, you go on an unofficial visit. Now you have your big-time athlete who's going to be recruited by everybody for volleyball. I hope so, yeah. I mean, is it is, is I have it weird? three playing. I have... All of them. Yeah, one's going into high school, and she's won the gold in, in JL's Junior Olympics the last two years, and then my 10-year-old now is playing. So I got three girls playing volleyball, so I'm the ultimate volleyball dad now. I know. My buddy Brian, who's a volleyball dad from here, sees you every... I see Willie right, back here. Right. Yeah, I should go say hi. Go say hi. He's not going to bite your head off. <laughs> Brian's an Arizona State guy, so he has to be careful around the USC yeah. guys. Let me, um, you know, when we, when I started this podcast, I was originally going to call it the rookie year mm-hmm. because I, I'm just fascinated by how people started out in the league. And, you know, you come in, you're uh, the fourth overall pick um, of the New England Patriots. You, you thought you were going to the Cowboys, though. I did. That was, that was a surprise when New England took you because you were kind of hoping to go to Dallas too, right? Well, at the time. At the time, I didn't know any different. You know, I had their representatives out there and, you know, I had a conversation that they were going to move up to the fourth pick, trade Alvin Harper, the receiver, get the fourth pick um, to the Rams, and they were going to move up and take me. So I elected not to go to the draft and have my own party here in, in California. So I was at the party. All the representatives from Dallas came and... I had the hats all there, and they were there, and I'm like, okay, I already kind of know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, right. I'm going with the fifth pick. I'm going to Dallas. Um, and the phone rang, and it was the fourth pick. It was the New England Patriots. I wasn't paying attention. I answered, you know, they gave me the phone. I talked. It's Parcells on the phone. I took one visit to New England, and I took it with everybody else, so it wasn't a personal visit. I took it with the rest of the guys. And I uh, just remember having that one conversation. You know, Parcells, you know, he's watching tape. He watched two tape. He watched the UCLA tape, which I didn't have a good game. I think I was playing against Jonathan Ogden. And I played against him my whole college career. I think that one game, he caught me out a bad game. And then he watched the Penn State game, and I had a great game. And he was like, which Willie McGinnis am I going to get if I draft you? The Penn State Willie McGinnis or the UCLA Willie McGinnis? I said, Coach, that's a no-brainer, the, the Penn State Willie McGinnis. He just shook his head, all right, kid. And that was the last conversation we had. That was it. And I was on the phone with Dallas all the time. Like, like I said, they had representatives right. at the party. So, That's crazy. Um, I remember the phone ring. It was Parcells. He said, hey, kid, you ready to come to New England? And I was, you know, at that time, I was gone. I was partying. New England, where the hell, like, where the hell is New England? <laughs> I was that. like, where the hell is New England? And um, we hung up the phone. 
They watch Jerry on the screen. He picks up the phone, slams the phone down. The representatives grabs their hat. They leave out. They're out. They're out. They're out of there, and I'm a New England Patriot. And you're Robert Kraft's first draft pick. Yeah, he, when he bought the team. He bought the team, and he calls you his fifth son. Yeah, I hope I'm in the will and all <laughs> in the state and <laughs> all that stuff. It's um, you had three coaches uh, at when you were in New England. Mm -hmm. You started with Parcells, you go Pete Carroll, and then obviously Belichick. Parcells, I grew up with Parcells. As right. you know, I'm a huge Redskins fan, mm -hmm. and Joe Gibbs and Parcells went head to head yeah, for so did. many years. Giants. Was, yeah, was there a time when you got there? I mean, you're not intimidated by many things, but could be he be an intimidating figure? He could be, but I, I loved him. Um, he was right up my alley. I grew up with coaches like that, yeah. you know, from high school and youth. They hit you with their hat and get in oh, your face yeah. and do all that. Like, I mean, it's a different era now, but those type of coaches, they love different, and they loved hard, and they yelled, they got in your face. So when I met Parcells, it was kind of like, this is perfect. Like, I'm not thin-skinned. It doesn't bother me. I don't get emotional. You can go off and do all the talking. Right. And I loved it because it motivated me. Some guys didn't like it. You know, it was a little too much for certain players. But for me, it didn't bother me at all. You remember that draft class? You want to do a little draft class review? I have the whole list right here. I'm not going to ask you to name them all. I know some. I know, right. the t I know some of the top five. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Okay. From 19, 94, 94 draft class. Yeah. Okay. After the 93 season, you're the first pick, fourth overall. Second pick, Kevin Lee, yep. receiver, a wide receiver Alabama. out of Alabama. Yep. On this sheet that I have, one of the bigger busts of the 90s for the Patriots is what uh, he's listed as. What do you remember about Kevin Lee? Kevin was a, uh, he was a good dude, man. Um, I remember him breaking his jaw in preseason and not really having a big uh, opportunity to play and get out there. And, um, you know, really talented at Alabama. It, it it just didn't pan out. Which and, happens for guys. Well, there was a lot of guys with Parcells. We had a second rounder that got cut because he couldn't pass the conditioning test. Believe that. Joe a Birch. Second rounder? Joe Birch, second, second, second round pick, could not pass the conditioning test. Um, think he was a nose guard and got cut. That never you hear Maurice Claret got yeah. cut from Shanahan cut him with the Broncos, and I think he was a third round pick, which yeah. was unheard of at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. We see guys retire like with Parcells. It was just, it was different then. Like, it was really work. Right. Training camp wasn't just come in in hats and you just, you jog. It was full pads every day. It was hot. The coaches decided when you had pads and when you didn't. Um, the hitting and, and all those things. And you weren't just thudding. You were hitting oh, every no, day. Oh, no, we were hitting. Parcells, he always felt like, I, I don't mind starting off the season slower because you're a little beat up. But at the end of the season, you're going to be stronger. Your mental, you know, going to be stronger mentally as well. And you're going to be used to all the physical stuff that right. happens. And that's why they call him December Bill, because his teams usually got stronger as the season go. You're a little beat up coming out of training camp. Yeah. But, you know, as the season went on, you're immune to it. So it didn't bother you. What, did, uh, what do you think Bill thought about Irvin Collier, the defensive tackle from Florida A&M? He was the uh, third-round pick. I don't even remember. Well, because he never played a game for the Patriots. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> uh, and then Joe Birch, the center you're talking about. The Is center, that, okay, yeah, it was yeah, the center. Yeah. Third-round pick, third-round pick. Okay, okay, so high pick cut. That's crazy. John Burke, a tight end out of Virginia Tech. You remember him? John Burke, yeah, big big guy, yeah. Okay, he played He played. He played uh, a little bit. He played three seasons there. Yeah, he played Pat O'Neill was a punter from Syracuse, picked in the fifth round. Yep. Uh, Steve Hawkins, a wide receiver out of Western Michigan. I remember Hawkins. He was a safety in college. Uh, what about uh, 
What about Max Lane? Max Tackle Lane. from Navy. Yeah, Max Lane was one of those parcels guy. He was long arm, big tall, kind of goofy kind of guy. Left tackle, but my fondest rem- memory of Max, good dude, playing um, right tackle. Yes, he was playing right tackle in the Super Bowl against the Green Bay Packers. Reggie White. Your first Super Bowl. My first Super Bowl. Brett Favre was the quarterback. And we were we had control of the game pretty much. And we're watching the game. We were like, wow, Max is, is killing Reggie. Like, Reggie doesn't have it anymore. Reggie's done. <laughs> and everybody got to talking too loud. Somehow Reggie caught wind and he got mad. Let me tell you this, man. I've never seen a player get as furious as Reggie. No gloves, no hands, just hands bare, taped up. And he went on a terror. He started clubbing and humping Max. He had, I think, within a quarter, three sacks. And I don't know how many quarterback hits. He literally took over the football game. And I saw him destroy Max Lane. Mm. And I I felt bad because I was kind of like, you know. You're feeling good. I was feeling good about myself and Max. Nah. Nah, and after that, man, I think that was kind of the end, pretty much the end for Max as far as it, that was all, that was it. That was crazy that your first Super Bowl, I forgot, everybody remembers your year, three-time Super Bowl champ. A lot of people forget that the you lost one. your- We your, always forget the one we lose. Well, of course, well, that's okay. Who, who I'm remembers sure, the sure one you lose? with you. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's but, also the year that Parcells left, remember, and he left right after the Super Bowl. There was rumors going into that game he was going to leave, and he went to the Jets. Right. And then he ended up taking Curtis Martin, our running back with him, who's in the Hall of Fame now. And that was devastating for me because, like, that was one of my – that was my first coach who believed in me, who taught me so much, who I was so connected to. And I cried after the game, not only because we lost, it was the worst feeling ever, but he told me, you know, we, it was never a distraction. We heard the media and all that before, but he, it was never a distraction. After the game, he pulled me to the side and told me he loved me and I was one of his favorite guys, but, you know, he, the situation just didn't fit him anymore, what was going on. He wanted more control. Of course, it didn't happen there, and he was leaving. Oh, man. Talk about losing a game and then having to, you know, see your, your coach, who you love so much, leave. It was, it was devastating. And then in comes Pete Carroll. In comes Pete. And he's different. Way different. Mentality, a little more energy, you know, spunky. And I think our team have been built for a Parcells type of guys, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that would get on you, that you knew if you made a mistake, you was going to hear it running off the field and all those different things. And here's Pete with a lot of energy, different style, um, different character. And I just don't think some of the guys, we didn't have enough guys mature enough in our locker room to respect the way Pete was, was versus be- the way Parcells was. Was it because he gave you more freedom? It wasn't just that. It was like, if you know, if you walk into a meeting, you know, and you were late, you know, you're getting fined. You know, Pete would be like, cha-ching, you know, something like that. Everybody right. would laugh. It's a fine. But then it was like, okay, I can come in late and I'm, I'm just going to get fined. You wouldn't walk into the meeting room if the door was closed with Parcells. You just you, would skip it. You know you're getting a fine. You just skip sit it. outside the door and you wouldn't go in because you already know what's going to happen. If you stop him mid-sentence on anything or you distract, he's going in right there in front of the whole team. Then he's throwing you out. 
So you wouldn't even open the door. So I just think the mentality was a little bit different. And like I said, we didn't have enough mature guys in the locker room at the time to be able to respect that and say, okay, it's just a different style. We still got to be disciplined. We still got to respect our coach. We still can't be late just because it might not be a fine and you won't get embarrassed or whatever the case may be. We just didn't, we, we didn't have that balance. I, I have trouble. I've, only, I've known you for the better part of the last decade and you've always been kind of the, you know, we're roughly the same age, you're a couple years older, but you've always been the OG, right? Because you, your playing career, what you accomplished and, you know, even in the locker room at NFL Network, I mean, Willie's the OG. Who was the OG when, when you got there and who was your mentor that you leaned on? Well, Chris Lane was a good friend of mine, but he was only one year ahead of me. He played my position. So he was a guy that I got quickly. I was like, we got close quickly. Um, Bruce Armstrong, the left tackle. Yep. He good pretty player. much, he ran the locker room. Vincent Brown, the undertaker. I don't know if you remember him, mm -hmm. man. This dude was like the Hulk. Um, he was like on defense. I would say he was the captain, OG. And if you, you know, though, probably those two guys on both sides of the ball, and then Chris, because I was so close. And Chris took me under his wing. He's from, you know, Virginia kid. Yeah, absolutely. And taught me the game and, you know, told me everything. We're still friends, you know, really good friends. Fin finished his career with the Redskins, I think, for a cup of coffee. I don't know yeah, if he made it through training long, camp. Yeah. but yeah. Went to Carolina, and then I think he went maybe to Redskins. Yeah. Taking a quick time out now to tell you about our presenting sponsor, Viore Clothing. And I can tell you right now that I absolutely love this brand. I've been wearing it for the last two and a half years or so. It is versatile. It is cool. It is comfortable. You can wear it to take yoga. You can wear it to go for a run. You can wear it to lounge around the house. And when we were allowed to travel, this was my go-to travel gear. I, I would wear this sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now on the plane all the time. It's not too thick, it's not too thin. The material, you will not find a more comfortable material on the planet than what they make these hoodies and sweatshirts out of at Viore. I, I absolutely love this company. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash helipod is where you need to go right now to get 20% off and free shipping on anything over $75 or more. Not only do they have hoodies and sweatshirts, they have awesome shorts. I love the core shorts, which had that liner inside. You know what that means? No need for anything else. You just slip it on, you can work out. You can also wear the bank shorts, kind of like board shorts if you wanna go for uh, a swim or a workout. These things are versatile. I, I promise you're gonna like it. I'm a gear hound. I wear this stuff all the time. The athleisure wear, kind of the go-to uh, in my life, especially right now, because there's a lot of lounging, there's a lot of time at home. Check out Viore, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash helipod, 20% off your first purchase. They also have awesome joggers for men and for women as well. No better time to check out Viore than right now. So by the time Belichick gets there, you're, you know, you're kind of captain of the ship, you've established yourself, um, you're, you're feeling good about where you are, but you'd had a couple of injury-riddled seasons. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to prove yourself all over again to Belichick? But you, you knew him, obviously, because he was on Parcell's staff. He was, and, and I think when he came in, he identified a group of men that he wanted to build around. And I was that guy. I think Brewski was that guy, Ted Johnson. Um, you know, we had uh, Troy Brown. You know, we had a group of guys that was on the team. And I think Lawyer Malloy was on that team. And um, I felt like every year I needed to prove myself. And if you, you know, you play in the trenches 
I don't think anybody's immune to injury. Everybody gets injured. And when Belichick came in, he identified the guys that he wanted to build around, um, the core group of guys. But he also had meetings with individuals and said what he expected and what he wanted. And at that time, you know, I didn't have the locker space. He didn't identify who was captain and who was this. Um, I just think he, you know, set the tone and created the blueprint of what our team was going to look like and the direction we were going in and the mentality. You know, he wanted tough, physical, smart. You know, it all started with that. And that was on the wall. And, you know, he wanted guys to... I think put team versus individualism. So he wanted to get rid of all the individuals. The Which guys. is easier said than done. It is. It is. But if you already knew, if you wasn't on that page, you wasn't going to be there. Luckily, we had enough guys. Right. Like Bruski and all of us. Like we had enough guys that we cared about each other enough. We had been through the Parcells, Pete Carroll. We were already together. And we didn't have egos. You know, we were, we were like brothers. And then slowly you just start to see him assemble you know, the team, bringing these guys in, bringing these free, free agents in, drafting these type of guys. And the message stayed the same. Everything stayed consistent. And we, you know, we had some some guys that came in that didn't really get it, but we were already so close that if you didn't fit or understand or wasn't what, what we were doing, uh, you were outsider, not only to the team, to the locker room, but the coaches would get you out of there quick. So, you know, once you came there, you already knew how we were moving. And it wasn't great the first year. We didn't have a great year. I think we went 6-10 and 10 or something like that. So it wasn't a great season. But that we knew it was going to be special, you know, going forward. And um, the very next year, we're in the Super Bowl. What's the biggest difference between Parcells and Belichick? Um, there are a lot of similarities. I think, you know, of course, Belichick has been with that team and with us longer. So he's seen... The, the player change throughout the decades. The player has changed. Right. Um, I think Bill communicates a little bit different now. Um, Parcells, um, coach, player, whatever, I think he held everybody to the same standard, same as Belichick. But I just think that the, their approach was a little bit different. Right. I think the way they thought out the game, the way they knew every single position on the field, um, the preparation, um, all those things, I got a little bit from Parcells the time that I had him, but I knew how great he was at it. And I knew Belichick was on that staff with the Giants and some of their other people. So it just seemed like Belichick kind of took all those, those things and just took them to like a, all new levels, a whole nother level, um, and did it longer. You know, if that yeah. makes sense. Oh, of course, because Parcells bounced around. He, yeah, and he was an extension of Parcells, but he just took, refined everything and just took it to a whole nother level and did it a lot of different ways. You know, I think Parcells probably did it, you know, one way um, the time I had with him. Um, but the ideals, the, the mentality, the way they thought, processed information, dealt with men, um, the tough, the toughness, there's so many, you know, things that re that they resemble. Um, but I would just say, like, Belichick just kind of took everything in, man. And just, next level? Oh, yeah, next level. He's always been, is somebody who has grown up as a, a member of the media, you know, working locally for a long time, then an NFL network and moving out here to L.A. You, I always had this vision of what 
Belichick was, and it's that gruff um, coach that gives you the monosyllabic two-word answers during the, the press conferences. And, you know, I've been lucky enough with you a couple of times to get some, some quality time with him where I just sit around like a fly on a wall <laughs> and see you guys chop it up. One of my favorite stories, you know, I've told this to my good friends before, but you and I were covering a training camp in Foxborough. Yeah. And you're like, hey, man, I, I want to go work out. And I'm like, all right, cool. Is there like a Gold's Gym? He's, you're like, no, we're going to go to the facility. I said, well, well, training camp is going on. You're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, you're coming with me. So one of the equipment guys picks us up in the van. We go to Foxborough. I remember walking through the bowels of the stadium, and their facility is right next mm-hmm. in the stadium and right next to the stadium. It bows to the stadium, and they gave us like a stack of gear. It was almost like we had enlisted in the military. Right? There was like a bar of soap, you know, for the shower. Soap, deodorant, right? all shorts, the shoes, socks. you know, yeah. compression shorts. And we go into the coach's locker room, and we get all all dressed up, and we're like in our Patriots workout gear. And I'm like, holy shit! Like we have a show in two hours. If I see Belichick, I'm literally gonna crap myself. Like, I'm gonna be, I, I don't even know what, like, and so you're like, dude, stop. Like, we're gonna go, we're gonna work out, and we're gonna get a little sweat on, we're gonna get some food, we're gonna shower up, we're gonna go do the show. I'm like, all right, great. So we walk into the weight room, and lo and behold, if the first fucking guy we see isn't Bill Belichick. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And I just kind of look at him, he kind of looks at me, like, you know, like out of the corner of his eye, and you're like, coach, it's good, he's one of us. He's like, okay. And we sit there for 15 minutes with Bill and the strength coach. And I just listen to you guys like tell stories and chop it up. I'm like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. And then the head guy's like, all right, Mac, let's go, let's go work out. So he works us out. And while we're working out, who comes in? You remember? Was it Brady? Uh, Gronk. It was Gronk. It was Gronk. And it was Edelman. Yeah, Gronk and Edelman. Yeah, Gronk and Edelman come in. And so I'm going over and talk to him for a minute. And I watch, they're doing like incline dumbbells, right? And so, I don't know what it was, like whatever, like let's say 110 pound dumbbells. And Gronk does it first and then Edelman gets on, he just pounds them out. Those short little arms, he's just pounding them out. And he's like, pound for pound, motherfucker. Strongest (laughs) guy in the league, pound for pound. And he was- That sounds like Jules. He became one of my favorite players after that. But then I was talking to him for a minute and you came over and you're like, all right, that's enough. Because Bill was working out at the same time. And you know, we were there to cover training camp and you know, I'm, not, I'm just we're just chatting. But you had the awareness to know that every now and then, out of the corner of his eye, Belichick was glancing yeah. over to make sure those guys were working out, not talking to me right. too much. Yeah, that but, was fun, man. No, it's really cool to see. Belichick is not the Belichick that you see on the podium. He's he's um, he's a great storyteller, you know. Is. And he he watches everything and he reads everything. Right. That's what I didn't realize. He know he. I mean, he reads everything, Mac. He's it. He's a historian, I would say, too, of the game. He knows his history. He knows his players. It's, it, 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 it's kind of amazing, man, you know, when you, when you listen to him and he, he tells these old stories about old players way back when. And he could break it down, break plays down, the film, the game, where it was, and all those different things, even with you. You know, the players that played for him, he could break down the situations, yeah. what games, division game, playoff game, regular season game, whatever it was. And um, I think the way he is with the media is the way he has to be to protect not only um, the players, but the team. And we've always believed if we kept everything in house um, and we dealt with whatever we had to deal with with each other and we kept the media and everybody else out of our business, it would eliminate the distractions. And I think that it's worked over the years. You see those, those teams where players 
they'll talk and they'll tell you, you know, what's going on or business or things that they shouldn't talk about, other, pre- other, other players' issues or coaches. And it catches coaches and, you know, executives sometimes off balance. And then once the media gets it, now the conversation is no, we run with it forever. We run with it and we're yeah. talking about that versus the game, you know, or the players or what's about to happen. And I think Bill understands that, and the players understand that in that locker room. Um, and with the family, you always go through things. You know, it's not always perfect. You fight, you go at each other, you talk, you figure it out, and then you move on. Right. And I think um, we learned early on when he took over that, that that's the way it was going to be, but that was the best way to be. And when you walked, when you walked into that locker room, I mean, you know, you, you saw the guys in there playing wiffle ball. You saw a lot of games <laughs> going Brock on. Brock was taking out ceiling tiles yeah. with his wiffle ball swings. And Brady, we went to Brady's locker. We're sitting there chopping it up. And then, of course, here comes Bill through Uh-oh. the locker room, and they give a little bird call so everybody <laughs> knows what's hilarious. going on. And everything stops. Yep. Bill walks through, laughs, makes a little comment, and then everything starts back up. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, the respect, of course, but – you know, I think what you learned, what a lot of people don't understand, I think if, you, if you've been there long enough or inside the building, they do have a good time. They do have fun. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure because of the expectations. Um, guys play and work a certain way, and it's been proven to work. So you don't ever question it if you're a free agent or a player or anybody right. that comes, a coach that comes there uh, to be a part of it. You don't ever question it. Um, but there's a whole other side of fun that goes into that and, and, you know, listen to Bill talk to the players sometimes, some of the comments he makes when film is going on or when, you, when, he, you know, when he's there telling stories or talking or whatever the case may be. It's hilarious, man. I enjoy it. And, you know. Is there if, one that sticks out to you about you or about Brady or about Brewski or – you know, I do the Titans games. I'd love to hear a good Vrabel story if there's one where he, oh, he, he busted always, their butt. Oh, Vrabel used to always try to go at Bill with stuff. You know, he's, 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 he's a know-it-all. He's smart. One of the smartest guys you'll know, but Vrabel could take it. He, he was one of us, man. He, he was one of my favorite guys. You know, he, he, he wasn't fun to play against, but he was definitely fun to play with. For sure. You know, because he didn't, he didn't have any rules. If you caught a charge, if you got in trouble, if there's something that you don't want to know, Brable's going to use that in that game to get under your skin to just get you not thinking about football and have you have you have you just irate trying to get at him. No. Was he one of the biggest shit talkers you oh played with? Oh my gosh, yeah. But it was per but anything. Like he would bring up anything. Whatever it is. If it's bad, he'll figure he he's I forgot who he used to use, but it was somebody on the staff he would get like all the dirt. Hey, is this guy caught any cases? What about assault? Is this what has he gone on? Has he been arrested? Like, he wanted to know all the dirt. And lo and behold, middle of a game, here, here's Vray chirping and get going. <laughs> and the guy's going at him or whatever. And next thing you know, the guy's all out of his wits, not even thinking about football anymore. And that was, you know, that was Vray. You know, one of the funny things is, is Taylor Lewan is kind of that guy for the Titans. Yeah. yeah I, mean, he's just, I mean, he has his own podcast, which is doing great, busting with the boys. And he's always talking to everybody about everything and just doing – he does weird stuff. Right. Like he wants the other guys to think he's different. He's a different. He yeah. is different. He's he is a different. different. He's way out there. Yeah. And so I always wonder, as a coach, how difficult at all, maybe it's not difficult, for Vrabel to deal with or relate to somebody like Taylor Lewan. I think he understands him. Um, 
you know, you don't want it, you don't, you don't want it to overshadow what you you have to do as a player. Right. And I think as a coach, you got to understand that you you deal with a lot of different personalities. You know, Gronk was able to exist in Bill's world, which people thought, how how could this ever happen? But he does his job. He works his ass off. Didn't get any any trouble off the field. Didn't hurt the team. Was never a distraction outside. You know of him doing something silly, having fun, dancing, but that had nothing to do with distracting the team. It was just him and his personality. And I think as a coach, you got to kind of let men be who they are within the realm of what you're trying to accomplish. When your individual whatever takes over and becomes a distraction and takes over what you're supposed to be doing on the football field, then it needs to be addressed, and then it's a problem. If not, then it's fine. It, you know, I think it can coexist with, as a player, your personality, who you are as an individual, and then what we need to happen on the football field. And Vrabel understands that. And, I mean, there's more than 53 personalities. Yeah. You know, you got to deal with on the team. And you got you to understand they're grown men, too. So making a lot of money, you're dealing with grown men, with families that got personal and other things going on. And you got to kind of keep everybody engaged. Well, that was the most impressive thing, I think, about those defenses that you played on in New England with Brewski and Vrabel and uh, Rodney Harrison. Seymour. Seymour. I mean, it's unbelievable. You guys had so many studs on that defense, and it was the ultimate team defense, I felt like, even though you have guys who, had they been at other places, you made two Pro Bowls. You probably could have made seven or eight somewhere else, but you played within the confines of that defense. And I look back to a quote when you went into the Patriots Hall of Fame from Belichick, who said, out of all the guys that I've ever ever coached, he's the one guy that you wouldn't want to cross. In a time that I've been here, there's maybe a one player I would put him up there as a guy that nobody, you just don't want to cross him. Just, if it got to that point, then you, you, you know, it's better back off than, you know, than get into it with him. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was loyal, you know, I was loyal to, to the program. I, I think I was loyal to my teammates and I was a soldier like in Bill's army. You know, I carried out all the orders. I did whatever I, I was asked to do. And I think it was a lot of us like that. Um, but well, you were the enforcer and there I were mean, a couple we, of times when you had to enforce we, things. We, we said that because there, you know, like, like I said, times were a little bit different, yeah. and we would get into it, and we were really serious about what we preached. And it was never really against, like I never got into it with our, our core group of guys, like Seymour, Brewski, right. Pfeiffer, Well, you guys Ty are brothers. Warren. We're all brothers. Right. It was like some of the new guys that came in that wasn't on board with us, that went against the grain, that, you know, was disrespectful maybe to what we had built. And... It, it wasn't initially like, oh, we're going to get into it. It's like, you know, hey, man, we do things like this. Or if Rodney says carry his pads or do X, Y, and Z, just do it. Don't right. question it. Like, do it. You know, if Brewski asked you to do, you know, go over here. We're watching tape, you know, after practice. Don't walk in 15 minutes late. You know what I mean? Yeah. If Rabe says, hey, man, you know, uh, bring donuts in the morning. Bring donuts in the morning because it's something that we all did. Nobody was better than each other. It's something we all went through and we all did, and we all paid our dues. So there were instances where things happened. Cheating in cards? 
Yeah. What was that story? That was before, though. That was, yeah, that was, you remember that. That huh? was a good one. That was, that was Parcells' era. That was Parcells. That, that was, was early Parcells on there. That was early on. And Collins. I was a young buck. I think it was my, my first or second year. And we're at Bryan College. That's when camp was in, 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 in Rhode Island. And uh, I was a young buck in there, and the guys were playing cards and drinking, you know, camp. That's right. When, and I'm sitting on the side, and I wasn't, even pl- I wasn't even in the game yet. I was about to get in the game. Young buck on the side. Ferrick Collins got caught cheating. Big D lineman. That's my other rule. I never fought little guys. It was always big lineman. At least as big as you. Oh, yeah, bigger than me, whatever. Um, he got caught cheating. They called him on it. They got to arguing. I was laughing because, of course, they're joking, you know, talking shit to him. He looks over and gets on me. So I'm like, all right, you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I don't, how I was raised, I'm not taking no shit from nobody. So I respected him, you know, boom, boom, boom. Then he went overboard. He started talking. Then he hopped up. So when somebody hops up and they've been drinking, (laughs) you kind of know, you know, you all right, now I'm in defense mode. I got to protect myself. And I was like, dog, don't, like, okay, like, don't take it that far. You come over, then now it's going to mean something else. What does that mean? He started walking towards me, and he swings. Uh-oh. I duck him, he missed. I go lock the door. Like, you went and locked the door before yeah, you even yeah, saw yeah, him? Yeah, 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 yeah. We go lock the door. I go lock the door, make sure can't nobody get in the coaches. The guys that's in there is in there. And then we go at it. And we move furniture. Oh, like, we, we, we go at it. And I think that was my first big brawl that people really seen that other side come out. Right. And needless to say, he didn't play in the next game. <laughs> we were going, we were going, we were going to play the Raiders, and he couldn't, he couldn't put his helmet on. So my goodness, he didn't, he didn't make that game. Yeah. That was the one I remember. And then there was another one that we talked about in a production meeting one time. Uh oh. He slammed some dude's head into a table, and I can't remember what what it was about. Was yeah. that is that different? No, I, that was di- that was different. That actually wasn't me. I tried to help that guy, but he didn't listen. What was that? Um, that was somebody who didn't want to sing his fight song in the oh. cafeteria. And rookie Bru- hazing at the time. Yeah. Yep. Aaron, and Bruce Armstrong, the wrong person who used to walk around with a taser, <laughs> asked this kid. So rewind. What do you mean he used to walk around with the taser? Oh, yeah, he had, like, this long taser he used to walk around at night and, and just, you know, if anybody... he zap you? he zap rookies and shit like that. Like, he was crazy. <laughs> it's my guy. I love him to death. And he asked this rookie uh, cornerback out of North Carolina to sing his fight song. Oh, it's camp. I'm tired. I don't feel like... He said, sing your fight song. And Parcells is sitting about from here to there at the table. Right. Parcells looks up and just keeps eating. This is at the, in the mess hall. Tells the rookie to sing. He started talking. Before I knew it, he has this rookie, and he's slamming him on the lunch table, all in his food, whooping him. And then Vincent Brown comes over. Didn't he tell you to sing? And then the rookie gets up after they get done. Next time I tell you to sing, he da 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 He goes over to Parcells. Parcells like, next time do what the fuck they tell you to do. <laughs> get out of here. And starts back eating like nothing and ever happened. And he just happened. starts eating again. Nothing ever happened. It was different then, man. It worked So we were you So, so... You know, I, I, I played 15 years, so, you know, I saw different... You saw the evolution. Yeah, and I saw different players come in a different mentality. Back then, you know, you get out of line and you get disrespectful. It was going down right there. People were closing the doors, you're in the locker room, wherever. And it would, whatever happened right there, it stayed right there. It wasn't leaking in the media. People wasn't going out telling, you know. 
That is a different deal. I, w- I you know, I'm glad I knew all those stories when you would lock the door and turn the lights off in the in the locker room and I felt that way. Although it was just a joke, I still got scared. I get scared every single time. All right, dude. Finally, before we let you go, um, you know, every time I intro you, it's always the postseason sack king, and it's it's pretty amazing um, what you accomplished in your career. And and to me, that's one of the great accomplishments. And it was Byron Leftwich was four and a half sacks in that game. They kind of put you over the top. You broke Bruce Smith's record. That was the Single, single game record. Single game record. And then you went on to break the the combined yeah, record. Yeah, that was the, the game. I think I had four and a half. And if I would have stayed in the game like an idiot, I came out like, ah, oh, they can't. Yeah, you were me. waving it off. You're like, I'm done. I could have had another. Me. Probably could have had another sack. Like that was <laughs> the dumbest thing in the world. But um, yeah, you know, I was I was actually my last year, you know, as a Patriot, which meant a lot. Um, we're in the playoffs. We played the the Jags, and I had a we had a we had a pretty good game. Do you look back, you left the Patriots, um, like so many great players, they let him go or got rid of them before their expiration date hit. That yeah. was just kind of what's made Bill great, which is going to be interesting to see what happens um, with Tom. But for you, you were able to go to Cleveland with Romeo Cornell. You got a nice contract. You played three years there. You were able to go help him try to build what he was hopefully trying to build there. But that next year... They went undefeated in the regular season, the Patriots did. Or was that two years after that? That was 07. That was 07. Yeah, so it was, I left in 05, 06. Yeah, it was two okay. years. Okay, but you, you could have been there because you were still in the league. You were still playing. Yeah. Play. You look at that season, you're like, holy cow, man. This is a perfect season for these guys. Uh, I could have added to my sack yeah, record. I could have got man. Super Bowl number four. Yeah. Like, how do you quantify that in terms of money? Like, you had to go get what you were going to get because it was your final contract. It wasn't my choice. Like, I didn't want to leave, and Pioli was the standing, like, GM or whatever they called him at the time. I don't know if he had the title. And, you know, the business side just didn't work out. And, you know, I... They weren't going to pay you. That's what that means. They weren't well, going to pay you I don't you think were they were going to pay me that much. Right. What, you exactly. Know? And I would have stayed for less just so I could retire at Patriot. But, like I said, things didn't work out. And when I'm watching that game, I'm sitting there like, just like you, the same thought, like, fuck. I could have had an undefeated season probably. Um, I being another Super Bowl, of course the sack numbers go up because to have that record, you got to be in the playoffs. Yeah, you got to be in the playoffs. And I remember that Jarvis Green and Seymour had Eli. And Jarvis Green was the guy who had his jersey that Eli got away from. On the Tyree catch. On the Tyree catch and threw the ball. And I thought to myself, if I was playing on that defense, Eli wouldn't have fucking got loose. Like, I never let the quarterbacks get loose when I had, in a big play like that in the playoffs, where that's where my magic was. Like I was like I would have I would have got Eli, and he was a Maddox, so I had a lot of success against the Maddox. <laughs> Stop it! I know you're trying to get under my skin right now. <laughs> the Tennessee thing. No, but you know, I, in my mind, I was like, that play would have never happened if I was there. Selfishly, of course, but you know, they they went on to go undefeated until you know to the Super Bowl, which was a great season for them. All right, a couple quick hitters. I, yeah, I was there. I was on the sideline. I remember that whole thing. Is there – this is a terrible question to ask, but I'm going to ask it because I, I feel like had you put up bigger numbers or been somewhere else, um, you're a Hall of Famer. Right. And, you you know, you essentially kind of had to trade in three Super Bowl rings for those stats, right. in my mind. Would you trade two rings for being the Hall of Famer? Hell no. Really? No. Mm-mm. I didn't play the game for the Hall of Fame. I played the game for championships and to win Lombardi's. And I think 
to be recognized as the as you know a Hall of Famer. I think my peers respected me and know that. Oh, for sure. And I think that my numbers probably were sacrificed because I didn't just do one thing. I just I just wasn't a rusher. I could have had well over 100 sacks. I had 80 some sacks. I could have had well over 100 some sacks if all I did was rush. But part of our job. 30, 40% of the time was to be in coverage. So I sacrificed rush, rushing and sack numbers because I did what was better for the team. And I think a lot of players that play in that system, um, whether the writers talk about it or not, know that we sacrifice our individual numbers and stats because the only stat that matters is the win, is the W. You hear Brady talk about it all the time. So I'm fine. I went into the Patriots Hall of Fame, and I think when it's all said and done, Football-wise, that'll be the best organization when it comes to football ever. And what has happened since we started that dynasty will never, ever, ever be duplicated as far as playoff numbers, Super Bowl runs, playing in Super Bowls, um, coach, player, whatever you can think of, it'll never be duplicated. So I think I'm content with understanding that. And then a lot of guys who probably individually went into those, into the Hall of Fame that I played against, my numbers against those guys, like we dominated them. So I'm content and I understand that I took a hit numbers wise for the, the ultimate, which was the, the W. Well, I finished half of the beer with you, dude. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, bro. Much appreciated on the yeah. helipod. Yes, the, the helipod. Yeah, you're gonna listen like to the first that. episode, right? I got you. All right, thanks, bro. You. Willie Mack, absolutely love that guy. And I can tell you, I've asked him that question about trading in a Super Bowl ring or two Super Bowl rings or even three Super Bowl rings for the Hall of Fame. And he has always said the same thing. He, he wouldn't trade a single one, the consummate team player. And Bill Belichick, I, I don't know that there's a guy that Bill Belichick has coached that he respects more than Willie McGinnis. So hopefully you enjoyed the listen like I did. Coming up next week, we are talking NFL draft. Yeah, we're going to preview the draft with one of the best draft analysts out there. I'm not going to give you his name just now, but I can promise you, you're going to want to listen. Go like, subscribe, download the Helipod on your podcast platform, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. We're also putting these up on YouTube. Hopefully you enjoyed Willie Mack. Plenty more Helipod goodness to come.